Hello, neighbor. Soft winds. You are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio. I am Manda O'Fox Gillespie. I welcome you to Folk University's Friday Folk You Talk Show on CKTZ 89.5 FM. Ever wondered what is Folk University? Well, it is an experiment in slow learning. It is a question. Can we create a more resilient, a more enjoyable, a more fun community simply by sharing what we know with each other? Folk University is an opportunity for neighbors to share our ideas, interests, skills, passions, jokes, homemade jam, whatever, with each other. And Folk University is the only university where nobody ever graduates. This is the time where I have to say that little regular reminder that Cortez Radio and its board, volunteers, members, uh, staff are not responsible for the opinions, advice, information that you hear on the Folk You Talk Show. And they don't have any money anyway, so don't bother suing them or me. Speaking of which, the radio station is doing a fundraiser. It's been a rough time for many, many nonprofits, especially those like the radio station that get more than half of their operating budget from doing events in person. Now there's no in-person with large groups, so we are trying to fundraise another way. As much as I wanted to do a, a, a talk radio-a-thon where we did not stop talking in an annoying voice until people paid, that seems to have been vetoed. So instead, we just ask if you have even $5, $10, a $1,000, kitchen sink, whatever, we'll take it. Um, you can pay via e-transfer, check or credit card at cortezradio.ca, or come by the Friday market and you can talk with Howie and give him your spare change or the cash that's hiding under your mattress. Today, I am pleased to announce uh, Manira Hussein, a friend of mine, who's here to talk a little bit more about the Indian healing tradition of Ayurveda and what we can learn for staying healthy in these modern times from one of the most ancient folk wisdoms. Let's see whether I've managed to successfully get Manira on the phone. Hello, Manira, are you there? Hi, Amanda, I'm here. Okay, folks, this is the awkward moment where I have to figure out how to get Manira on the phone again, successfully, hopefully, this time. Um, and I will, while I am doing that, play a little bit of music that I hope will inspire real, real you She'll send to Oh, Okay. This Amanda, might be, I might have me? just figured out what I'm doing wrong. Manira, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, I am realizing we are having some technical challenges on the radio. Okay. Will you, so I think we've gotten you on the phone. My headset was turned all the way down. Whoever was producing in here before me, shame on you. Um, so can you hear me, Manira? I can hear you, Amanda, loud and clear. Um, all right. 
and I, for some reason, don't hear you. Oh, now I think I do. Um, all right, so welcome, Minera. Thank you for bearing with me through that little technical glitch. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got into Ayurveda. Yes, and you can still hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. You sound perfect now. Okay, and I take back what I said. You're not quite loud and clear. You're very distant and soft, but I can hear you. So let's go on. Um, the, um, the show must go on, as they say. <laughs> uh, thank you, Manda, for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be here. For those of you who don't know, Manda is a longtime beloved friend of mine, um, as well as a fellow traveler on this path of health and wellness. So many intersections with Manda. My name is Munira, and I am coming to you from Vancouver. I am here as an uninvited guest on the unceded lands of the coastal First Nations, the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh Nations. And I always like to start by saying that I know what a rich um, healing tradition we have here within our Indigenous First Nation bodies. And so I'm so proud to be here, um, allowed to share what I bring from my tradition in India. So it's such an honor. Um, yeah, so I'm here in Vancouver. Um, I've been with Ayurveda for about 20 years now. Um, ironically enough, even though I grew up in India, I came to Ayurveda in Vancouver. I ran into my, my first teacher almost accidentally um, on the streets in Kitsilano. But as soon as I started studying with him, I almost apprenticed more than studied. It felt like coming home. Ayurveda felt like that long-lost home to me that I'm sure you all are familiar with. And um, since that first day, I've spent my time studying and exploring and most importantly, living Ayurveda, because such things can only be experienced. They can't ever be learned intellectually. And so it's been an amazing journey for me over the last 20 years, um, living and growing in my knowledge of this beautiful science. It's more than a science, really, but let's call it a science. And over the the last years, I've been sharing this more and more in my community here in Vancouver. I work as an Ayurveda health coach. And so I bring the fundamental teachings of Ayurveda, but in a, in a way that's simple and practical to absorb, because Ayurveda is one of those old, complex, amazingly rich sciences and traditions that, that can be so overwhelming. But yet, if you just understand how to, how to see it and how to live it, it can be so simple at the same time. So my passion is taking the depth and richness of Ayurveda and bringing it to the average person who doesn't want to go into 12 lifetimes of study and just wants to be able to live it on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's why I call it Ayurveda health coaching, because I take Ayurveda and I combine it with, you know, ways and techniques, very modern techniques, really, to adapt it 
into your current modern lifestyle. I use, um, I know it's a buzzword, but I use habit change techniques from all of our modern-day greats like James Clear and BJ Fogg. Um, Love that stuff. And it's amazing how beautifully it goes with something as traditional as Ayurveda to make something more accessible. So that was a long introduction, but that's a little bit about me. I also have two children and I have a husband. And um, it's been really awesome to live and grow with Ayurveda as a mother. And um, my two my two girls, 13 and 10, mm, same age as Manda's actually, <clears throat> have had the, the pleasure of having Ayurveda from birth. And it's amazing to see them now living it in such a full way compared to even uh, myself, you know, coming into it when I was in my uh, 20s. So... Today, I'd like to just get into a little bit of what Ayurveda is, you know. It's, it's exotic and it's mysterious to many people. And I wanted to, quote-unquote, demystify it a bit. So hopefully I'll do that today. And I believe you have a chance to ask me questions. So feel free to text or call those in. I love questions. So let's start from the beginning. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word. Ayus is the word for life, actually. And Veda translates to science. So it's the science of life, literally. And I love that because it can be perceived as a medicine or a set of rules, but it's way bigger than that. And if you're curious about philosophy um, or spirituality, Ayurveda has a much deeper reach into the spiritual aspect of our beings. It's considered the sister science to yoga. Ayurveda and yoga go hand in hand in the Vedic system. And it's because they're both geared towards the same goal of what we call self-realization or self-liberation, enlightenment, whatever you call it. But it's, in essence, a full, complete, and liberated understanding of your true self. And so Ayurveda is really clear that all these rules around health and well-being, they're great for the physical body, but because they allow your physical body, your, your vehicle in this in this material world to stay healthy so you can grow and learn and reach liberation in your lifetime. So if you you like that kind of stuff, that is the essence of Ayurveda. And I like to share that because it's way more than a health system. And a lot of people don't know that. So Ayurveda, I was saying, um, the science of life is actually part of a much larger body of texts called the Vedas. And the Vedas talk about everything from, you know, medicine to astrology. Astrology is considered the ultimate science. You study that after you've studied all of the various things, you know, um, accounting and business and health and medicine and yoga and martial arts and art and painting and music, and then comes astrology. So the Vedas have guidelines and texts for all of these traditions and all of these sciences. And Ayurveda is just one minuscule part of them, believe it or not. 
Um, and for us um, who study Ayurveda, we have a couple of texts. We have um, the Charaka Samhita, um, which is kind of an expansive volume of books um, that contain all the knowledge that the sages wrote down when Ayurveda actually got written down as um, in, in, in written form. Because before that, it was an oral tradition for many thousands of years. So a few thousand years ago, it got written down into text, and we have access to those now. But before that, it was alive for many thousands of years, even as an oral tradition. And the, the beauty of Ayurveda to me is that it focuses not on curing disease, but on preventing it. So Ayurveda's definition of health itself talks about how you stay balanced so that you never get disease in the first place. There's a concept of ageless life in Ayurveda. If you take care of this body and this mind and you keep it in harmony, you reduce stress, you care through diet, through lifestyle and through herbs, you need not have disease. That's the premise of Ayurveda. Um, I, like to, I, I like to explain this concept with this beautiful analogy I got through one of my teachers. And he talks about a body of water. Imagine a, a river. You know, it's, um, it's the west coast of uh, BC. So we are the west coast of Canada. So we're very familiar with beautiful water bodies. Imagine um, uh, water coming down a mountain. It's, it's rushing down. And it comes and it enters a pool, kind of a flat pool, before it leaves and goes further down the mountain towards the ocean, right? So the water may come gushing down at one point as a waterfall. It may meander down and then finally come to this pool. And you're standing at this pool. And when you look at it, it doesn't seem to be either getting filled or emptied. It's not turbulent. It has a sort of calmness. A stillness to it, right? Um, that is the analogy we use for our, our own bodies and minds. So you want to treat your body like, like that pool of water would feel. You don't want things rushing in and rushing out, um, causing stress and strain, causing overwhelm, causing unnecessary turbulence. Nor do you want it to be stagnant with nothing moving in and out, because that would mean death, right? That would mean disease and death immediately. So both ends of that can cause imbalance and disease. But a perfectly still pond where the water comes in gently, does what it needs to do and leaves gently without causing unsettling stress in that water body. That is the harmony that we talk about in Ayurveda as the way of life. And so when you think about this in yourselves, think about the things that you experience every day. You know, the, the things you eat, the things you drink, the way you breathe, um, the perception you take in, whether it's through a book or through your ears and audio like this, uh, whether it's movies, uh, think about your emotions. What kind of dialogues and conversations do you have with other people? How heated or passionate are they? How um, painful or traumatic are they? Um, how nourishing are they? 
I think about your relationships and your conversations. These are all the things we take in on a daily basis. And if you can start to take in things in a way that is harmonious and non-stressful, then you're taking your, your first step towards living an Ayurvedically balanced life. And the way we do this is by adapting our lives to live this way, right? It doesn't happen to us. We all have challenges. The environment is naturally unpredictable, um, variable, bringing in things that we may or may not want. We have the seasons. We have things that we have, we have chemical influences in our environment. Um, we have all kinds of food. You know, we have all kinds of drinks. So it's starting, it's, it's about starting to understand what you can take in and how you take it in so that you can keep that harmony in your being. How do I eat my food? What am I eating? How much am I eating? Am I eating so much that I'm stuffed after and then I have to, to, to stop doing what I'm doing for the next three hours? Am I eating while watching a show so that I'm not even actually cognizant of what I'm putting in my body? Um, am I... Am I picking fights and arguments everywhere because it's so fun to argue, but at the end of the night, I'm tossing and turning in bed because I'm um, so overwhelmed from all the emotionality that happened to me that day. I'm just starting to think about your lifestyle. Think about how you're taking things in, what you're choosing to put into your being. Whether you want to watch that really graphic, scary movie. You know, it's things like that. So that's a really basic fundamental understanding of harmony according to Ayurveda. But that's not, that's not obviously the, the beginning and the end. What I'd love to do next is to talk a little bit more about the technical pillars, so to speak, of Ayurveda. So some of you may have explored Ayurveda. And when I teach this usually or share it, I have some visuals with me, so it's really strange to be sharing this to you guys without any kind of visual aid or cue. So imagine five bubbles floating in front of you. The first one is the element of space. The second bubble has the element of air. The third bubble has the element of fire. The fourth, water. And the fifth, Earth. There are five elements, and I want you to visualize them in front of you uh, as five little bubbles, because we're going to work with these five little bubbles for the next 15 minutes. These are the five building blocks of everything in Ayurveda. They're also the five building blocks of nature. They are the five elements. And we consider ether or space an element, because without ether, Nothing else can exist. There has to be space before anything can exist in it. So again, that's a philosophical rabbit hole that I won't go down. Um, but we have these five building blocks. And now we're going to take those five building blocks and create the three basic energetic principles of Ayurveda. And if you've heard anything about Ayurveda, you've probably heard these buzzwords, vata, pitta, and kapha. And these are the three energetic principles that um, Ayurveda is explained through. It's your lens when you study Ayurveda. 
So if you've heard them, great. If you haven't, I'm going to explain them to you a bit more. And know that these are principles. We don't mean just literally taking the elements in a physical form, but we're also talking about the energetic level of these physical elements. So just, just remember that it's not just a physical um, principle. Right. So we take the first two bubbles are space and air, right? They are the lighter, cooler, um, more mobile of the elements. We put those together and we get our first energetic principle, which is called vata. Vata is the principle of movement and communication. Everything in nature needs this principle to be alive. Think of it as our physical movement of our bodies. Think of it as the movement of nutrients within our body, within our cells, within our tissues. Think about a plant and how it takes water from the earth and transports it to its leaves, right? Think about the communication of nervous impulses in all animal beings. These are all principles of vata, communication and movement. They are essential. It's almost the most important principle in life. And they're made of these first two elements philosophically. And so immediately what we get from this union of air and space, the qualities are the qualities of vata. And we call them dry, rough, light, cold, subtle, and moving. So I want you to just imagine those. Dry, rough, light, cold, subtle, and moving. These are the qualities that you embody in Vata. And we'll talk more about them. But I want you to start to feel them because they, they, there is something very physical about these, these principles that you can experience in your body. Next in our five elements, we're going from the least dense to the most dense, right? So next we have fire, it's denser than air, and we have water. Fire and a little bit of water combine together to form the second principle in nature. This is what we call pitta. Pitta is the principle of transformation or digestion. I like to say transformation because it's more all-encompassing. So when you think about the principle of pitta, you think about all the processes that happen in all life forms. So digestion in our body, right? The transformation of a food into the basic building blocks that are then absorbed by the body and converted into cells or cellular material. Um, the photo process of photosynthesis in a plant leaf. Um, the process of listening to an idea and understanding it in your mind. This is also a process. It's a transformation from a concept becoming um, a thought for you, right? These are all the, the element of pitta or fire in nature. And again, this is essential for life. If you can imagine, we can't live without processing, without converting one thing to another, without transforming, without digesting. And then we go to our third element. Oh, 
oh, hang on. Let me tell you the, the, the qualities of fire, of pitta. So the qualities of pitta, we have oily, sharp, hot, light, moving, right? So you think about, think about fire, think about digestive juices that, that digest. Think about all the things that have this process to catalyze a transformation. They are usually sharp, hot, light, a bit oily, and they're moving. They have a mobility. And then we come to our last energetic principle. This is called kapha. And kapha is the last two elements, water and earth combined. So take those last two bubbles floating in front of you. And when you put water and earth together, what do you feel? Think about moist earth, right? Think about um, the sticky, heavy, uh, cold, static or, or stable quality of earth. That's what kapha is. Those are the qualities of kapha. And kapha is the movement of cohesion. It's structure. It's all the solid forms in nature. That is the kapha principle. The actual physical um, density of your body or of a tree, of the earth. This is kapha. So it is where everything happens is inside the realm of the kapha because kapha is a structure. So these are your three energetic principles in Ayurveda. They're made out of the five elements, and they each govern movement or communication, vata, metabolism or digestion, pitta, and structure or kapha. So once Ayurveda defines these three doshas, or the three principles, we call them doshas in Ayurveda, the next step would be to start to understand what your personal balance of these three doshas is. Because we're all different. We're not just all made of the same quantity of vata, pitta, kapha. Each of us has a slightly different variation of the three. And not to say one is good or bad, all variations are beautiful in their own way. But knowing what you are, what, how much of air and space you have, how much fire and earth you have, right? It helps you understand this amazingly complex body and mind of yours and start to keep it more in balance through your day-to-day -day life, through your diet, through your lifestyle. So this is, this is another kind of hot topic in Ayurveda. People love to find out what their, their constitution is. It's really simple to do, actually. You can go online and look up Ayurveda Dosha Quiz and go through a series of questions and at the end get sort of a number value for what you are. It will give you, you know, Vata 5, Pitta 7, and Kapha 3 or something like that. And it gives you the various proportion of each of these three doshas in your body. The website I send people to is called Banyan Botanicals. Um, B Banyan is B-A-N-Y-A-N, Banyan Botanicals. And they're actually an amazing resource on Ayurveda. They have articles on all the subjects you could possibly think of. And they have a really good dosha quiz. So go on there and do the quiz. It's really fun. Do it right now if you're listening to me. And see what your constitution is.
the balance of the three is what we call your constitution. And then once you know your constitution, it's amazing. You start to you start to go further from there and understand what the best foods are for your constitution and what the best um, exercises and um, what the best way um, to get rest is for your constitution, what might be the better career decision, what weather suits you better. And as you read and as you understand this, you'll notice that you actually know all this. You have a sense within you because we're guided by our constitution all the time. It's... Um, it's like an instinct that's built into us, which is what I love also about Ayurveda. A lot of time I'm talking to people and they already know everything I'm saying to them. And when I say it, they're like, oh, yes, it's so nice to hear confirmation of all these things I suspected. So I'm not crazy. I'm like, no, you're not crazy. Um, you're not, you're not uh, like the other person who might need to eat three massive meals a day. You know, you might need two meals a day because you're a kapha and your digestion is slower. And if you don't feel like being competitive in everything you do, that's fine because you're not a fire type, you know. If you tend to get really lost in your dream and you need help grounding, that's because you have a lot of the air and space, a lot of the dreamer, the vata, right? You just start to get the sense of who you are and why you act the way you do. And then you start to understand that it's so easy to balance yourself when you go out of balance. It's really not a rocket science. It's, and, and I love it because you don't need an expert to tell you what to do, and you don't need to go to a doctor to get a medicine. You really just start to tune in to your own healing and balancing instincts. And this is the strength and the beauty of Ayurveda to me. It gives you that tool to be your own doctor. It gives you the power to trust your instinct and to balance yourself through really simple things like what you eat and what you drink and how well you sleep and how you exercise in the day, right? So I know that's a lot. And I don't expect everybody to get it right away, but... I wanted to start you out with this foundation, and I will, hopefully I'm inspiring you to do a little reading, because as you read, it'll start to make sense. It'll start to percolate. In Ayurveda, my teachers always say, be with Ayurveda, and Ayurveda will come to you. It's not, it doesn't have to be this mad rush to, to learn and intellectualize. It's just about staying with this idea developing a feeling for this lens, starting to experience subtle shifts in your body when you do a certain thing a certain way. It's paying attention. It's tuning into your own awareness. This is really Ayurveda. So if you found out your, your blueprint, your dosha, your constitution, that's a good first step. After that, you could start to investigate, and again, Banyan Botanicals has some great resources for this, on what might be the most balancing foods for your constitution. There's some great food charts and guidelines. And um, you might notice, for example, <clears throat> let me give you, give you some concrete examples. I am someone who has a lot of vata and pitta. Now, you can't 
if you need a visual, I'm, I'm this brown girl. I'm quite little. I'm quite skinny, actually. Um, I'm, I, I move really fast. I have a lot of energy. I get cold almost instantly if the temperature drops below 23 degrees uh, centigrade. Um, I, do, I do everything fast. If you give me a new idea, I'll immediately run with it. I'm so spontaneous, it's exhausting for the people around me. Right? These are all the qualities of Vata and Pitta. And, and um, think of the people you know who are like that. Think of the Vata and Pitta as the light, airy, spacey, creative, impulsive people in your life. They've likely got a large amount of the air and space. Um, these people, Vatas, if you're that, um, in balance, you will be creative and excited and you'll have a lot of visionary ideas. Um, you'll have a lot of energy. Out of balance, you might tend towards anxiety or um, fear or worry. Um, you might tend to, in your body, get cold. You might get dry, right? Because the qualities of vata, dry, rough, light, cold, these are the things that when they go out of balance and they become too much, you start to have imbalances. Your vata people are the people who um, wear a lot of layers because they're cold. Um, they tend to need a lot of oil or, or moisturizer on their skin. Um, they tend to need a lot of sleep because they have a lot of mental activity going on from the, the space quality. Um, they tend to be uh, erratic in their digestion. The fire comes and goes. Not quite enough fire in a vata person. They're more air and space. They might be constipated if they don't eat well, if they don't take care, right? This is the, these are the ways you understand vata. Out of balance and imbalance, um, mentally, what the features are. So that was, a, that was a vata. Now, if you're a pitta, if you're a fire person, and often you're a combination of at least two of these, um, largely a combination of those. So I said I'm a vata pitta. It means I have quite a strong amount of vata and quite a strong amount of pitta. So my pitta side looks uh, like this passion, you know. I have a good idea, and then I go for it. I love studying. I love competition. Um, I have a hunger, for a hunger and a curiosity for life. Um, your pitta people are your teachers and your leaders, your politicians, your competitive sportsmen and women, right? They are um, they're out they're out to, to race to the goal. That's your fire person. They're naturally passionate. If they go out of balance, though, they could be obsessive. They could be entered to anger. They could be really critical, judgmental. These are the imbalances when you have too much fire in your system that's not being controlled in a good way. Um, you're out of balance CEOs, you know, who work, uh, 20 hour days. That, that's definitely a pitta symptom, a pitta syndrome. Pittas have fire, right? So they have a strong, amazing digestion. Bodies are generally just like good to go. They can eat anything. They're hungry regularly. They have, um, you know, they have this uh, thirst and hunger in all levels of body. But out of balance, your pitta is going to be the person with acid reflux or uh, overactive digestion leading to diarrhea, 
um, they'll have sleeplessness at night because their minds are going with all the ideas they, they want to do and all the lists they want to, to strike off. Your pittas are sensitive to light because they're fiery. Right? So imagine what a pitta person is like. Start to feel what pitta and fire looks like and feels like in the body. And then let's talk about kapha for a minute. And I love kaphas. Kaphas are my favorite only because they're so opposite to me. I, I crave kapha energy and I cherish it so much in my life. Kaphas are like your, your beautiful earth mamas, you know? They're like the calm, soft, gentle, loving people. They have that earth and water quality of uh, generosity and compassion, um, forgiveness, um, unconditionality. They're not out to, to win any marathons, and they don't have any big goals. They're really happy to just sit down, hang out, relax, laugh, eat delicious food. You know, they'll, you, you'll find them in the garden because they love um, nurturing life, and you'll find them in the kitchen because they love cooking. And you'll find them on the couch a lot because they really can't be bothered with the competitive world. Your kapas in balance have this, have this steadiness, this stability. They'll think thrice and act once. They're so methodical and careful. When they take a project, they will finish it. You know, your vata person, so flighty. They'll start 100 projects in one day. They might never finish one. Your pitta person, will pick a project and they'll go hard and they might even burn out halfway through the project because they, they, they went too hard and too fast, too much fire. But your kapha will slowly, methodically go for the long haul. You know, they're those, those elephants, so to speak. And I, I say elephant in the most loving and wonderful way. I, I grew up with elephants in India. You can count on them. You know, they're reliable. A kapha out of balance, though, will have too much of this. They'll have too much of the heavy, stable, cold, thick energy. So your out-of-balance kapha is your, your average couch potato. You know, bag of chips in one hand, a Coke in the other. They're really happy. They don't want to go anywhere. They're probably overweight. You know, they're having some, some skin issues, and um, they couldn't care less. So that's your kapha out-of-balance. Kaphas have to watch out, or else they will they will um, get imbalanced in a way that's really hard to turn around. So that's your three doshas. And I hope by now you have kind of a mental image of someone who is each one of them. I find that really helps to make sense of it. I can immediately tell you a kapha and a vata and a pitta, right? And it makes it come to life for me. Now, most people would be combinations, so you'd have your vata-pitta, you have your pitta-kapha, and you have your vata-kaphas. And you'll see this a lot, too. The people who don't quite fit into one category because they're kind of a mix of the two. And if you wondered whether you could be something else in your mind and something else in your body, the answer is yes. Because often when I talk about this, people will be like, you know, I sound like... A pitta in my mind, but my body is really kapha. So you're probably a combination of the two with one more dominant in your mind and one more dominant in your body. And this is also normal and amazing, and you can work with it.
that's the foundations. Those are the three doshas. I'm thinking about where to go next. Maybe I will talk about some of the ways that you can easily start to integrate Ayurveda into your life if you're new to it. And you just want to try a few things out to start. Like I said, it's, it's, I'm all about bringing Ayurveda to the modern context. And our modern context is pretty crazy. So it's, it's not always an easy task, but, but yet it is. So let, let, me, let me tell you more. Ayurveda is very big on daily rhythms. So... Because we are made of nature, we're built literally of the five elements, literally, physically, and energetically. We're made of the five elements that are in nature. And so we are naturally connected to what's happening around us. Um, the elements, the cycles in nature, you know, the seasons, the diurnal cycle from day to night, whatever's happening out there in nature is happening inside within us as well. So the first step in adopting Ayurveda to your life is starting to sync up with the rhythm of the day. We call this Dhinacharya. And it's called, it's a translation daily rhythm. And of course, over top of Dhinacharya, there will be the seasonal rhythm, Ritucharya, because the change, um, our microcosm also with each season as nature outside us changes. And then there's a greater span of your life. You're in a different phase from childhood to youth to middle age to old age. There's, there's another kind of progression there. So we like to keep track of all of these. But where you start is your dinacharya or your daily rhythm. So these three principles, vata, pitta, and kapha, they methodically go through the day, right? They come in um, stages and repeat through the day in a rhythm. So, for example, um, from early morning, say, 2 a.m. till about 6 a.m. is the time of bata. It's a time of air and space and potentiality. It's a great time to wake up and start your day. If you can start your day before the sun rises, um, beautiful. You tap into the, en the energy of Vata, which has a lot of creative and spiritual power. It's why all the traditions all over the world start their day at sunrise, right? There's a potency there. Um, Ayurveda is no different. It says if you can start your day in the time of Vata, where the creative energy and the spiritual energy is the, the strongest, then you're going to have the most plug-in to that energy for your entire day. So we start our day in that pre-dawn time. From every day, from around 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., we have the, the Kapha phase. This is the second stage of the, the daily clock. And this is where the energies of earth and water, kapha energy predominate. So you'll notice that if you sleep in past daylight and you wake up later in the day, you'll feel groggy, you'll feel heavy. This is because you're waking up in the heavy time of kapha. So that, that in itself is a beautiful first place to start. 
experiment with waking up early around dawn and then compare with how you feel later in the day. Waking up during kapha could be fine. Some avata might get away with it, but a kapha person waking up during kapha time is a disaster, right? Because their naturally heavy energy is going to be doubled or tripled waking up later in that heavy time. So you try to wake up before dawn or just around dawn. You try not to sleep during the kapha time, especially if you're a kapha. You have a light breakfast, right? Mm, again, kapha time is not a good time to burden your body with a lot of food. And then from around 10 a.m., you come into the fire time of the day, pitta. It's usually when the sun is at the highest in the sky as well. It's the hottest time of the day. It's when your digestion is the strongest. So your internal fire matches the external fire of the sun. Midday is the best time to have the biggest meal of the day. You're much more likely to digest it better and not, be not end up feeling heavy or bloated or lethargic. So we try to pack in the most nutrients at lunch, which is had between 10 and 2. Right? That's how you honor the pitta energy of the day. And then at 2 o'clock, the whole cycle repeats itself. And so 2 o'clock, you're back to vata. So I want you almost to imagine a clock, or if you have a clock in front of you, as you look at the clock, divide it up into these three segments. 10 to 2, right there on the top, is going to be pitta. Put a, put a picture of fire right there. Two to six, the right-hand segment is going to be your vata time. Put a symbol of air over there. And then six to 10 p.m., a.m. and p.m. both, is your kapha time. So put a little picture, picture of a plant or some earth over there, right? That's your kapha time. You have these three quadrants three segments in your, in your clock. And each day, these three energies happen at these times. So you eat, your, you eat your meal where the fire is high, right, at around noon. You try to fall asleep during the kapha time. So if you can fall asleep before 10 p.m., you know, 9 to 10 p.m. is the best time to fall asleep because you use that kapha heaviness to fall into a deep slumber. You'll notice that if you stay up past 10, you're very likely to get a second energy, right? Um, a second wind, what we call, because if you look at that clock, at 10 o'clock, that's your fire time. It's, it happens in the day, it happens at night again. So at night, this fire kicks in, and you're awake, and you're energized, and you're hungry. Um, and so you want to go to sleep before that happens. And the reason you don't want to stay awake during your fire time at night is because this fire time at night is the cleansing fire. The same fire that helps you digest your main meal at midday is going to help you cleanse, process, and reset at night. This fire is not meant to be fed with food. It's meant to go deep into all of your tissue to process the residual food particles that have been left in your body that you didn't digest in the day for whatever reason, all the residual emotions that you didn't process in the day, 
all the perception, the sounds, uh, sights, um, the information that you took in, that gets processed. It goes from your frontal lobe of your brain to down the back, right? It's processed to memory. All these things happen at the nighttime fire. The pitta transformation at night cleanses. And if you miss this cleansing, it's just so unfortunate because you wake up the next day and you're just not ready for the day. You're going to be tired. You're going to be probably a little grumpy. Um, your gut won't feel as awesome. You might not have a good bowel movement. You basically stolen energy from the next day by staying up past 10 o'clock, eating, you know, doing whatever you do and not resting that time. So my first recommendation to people is start to sync up with this natural rhythm in nature. Rise early, fall asleep at the right time, eat your main meal at the right time. It's so simple. Immediately, your body will start to to thrive. It will start to release energy that it will access energy that it couldn't access before. It will release toxins that it had a hard time eliminating because you've just given it the the gift of using natural energy to its advantage. Yeah. And so last couple of things about this daily clock, um, the evening time when you're coming into Kapha from six to 10, it's often when um, a lot of us tend to have dinner. So be careful what you eat during dinner time. Don't make it too heavy. It's not a time of fire. You don't want to clog your system with a big meal that you're then processing at night. You want to have a light meal, ideally before 6 p.m., tuck into bed by 9.30 and be asleep by 10 and then have a nice four hours for your body to detox. And then if you can naturally wake up by 5.30 in the morning, I guarantee it you'll feel amazing. And I know I'm talking to a lot of islanders. I'm guessing that you're already on that kind of rhythm because you guys are also close to nature and you don't have the interference of light and noise and um, distractions that we have here in Vancouver and the big cities, but, you know, big cities, uh, quote unquote. I know Vancouver isn't a big city. So you have it easier if you're in a quiet place already. There's a lot less of a buzz at night keeping you awake. So I'm, I'm sure that you'll have no trouble um, falling into a rhythm that's in sync with nature. Here in the city, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to, to fight the light and the sound, especially if you live, like me, really close to a busy street and you have a husband who loves tech um, and always has some fun tech toy on the go. Um, so, yeah, so, so just be mindful wherever you are. See where you can start to use your evenings to wind down and fall asleep by 9 or 10 p.m. Yeah? The one other thing I say, I think I just have a few more minutes before we break for music, is about food. So one of the biggest questions I get is about eating. It's about how, what do I eat? What's right for my constitution? Um, organic or not organic? Vegetarian or not vegetarian? It's, it's so confusing and it's so exhausting to a lot of people. 
So let me just talk about food for a few minutes because it's another really easy place to start with Ayurveda. Ayurveda says that with eating, there, there are three considerations. What you eat, when you eat, and how you eat. And all of these three are equally important. So what you eat, and I mean what exactly you're choosing to eat, but also how much of it, right? When you eat, this refers to the daily clock that I just told you about, the Ayurvedic rhythm, eating at the right time, not eating before you, you go to sleep, for example, um, and how you eat. You know, are you actually in a place and a state of mind where you can accept, break down, and assimilate that food? You are not what you eat. You are what you digest. <clears throat> so I, I would say the first step towards healthier eating is to take all these three into consideration. Focusing on what you eat is dangerous especially with all the rules we have. You can start by focusing on how much you eat or when you eat or how you eat. Just bring, bring presence to your eating time. Put the book down, put the phone down, put your screen down. Don't listen to a podcast. Why don't, you can sit with your, with your meal in front of you, with your family around and enjoy the experience of eating and connecting with your food and the people you love. Right? That's how you eat. You can eat mindfully. You can chew everything till it's a complete paste in your mouth before you swallow it. You can experience each swallowed mouthful in your belly before you take the next one. This is how you eat in Ayurveda. Right? And when you pay attention, you naturally start to understand how your body is receiving that food. For example... I'm much more likely to eat a meal that I don't really want to eat if I'm not paying attention. I'm much more likely to eat too much. I'm much more likely to ignore if it's too spicy or it's not got enough salt or if it's making um, me a little mucusy, right? But if you're paying attention, you immediately start to tune into what the food is doing for you as you eat it. You might say, actually, I don't want the second plate full. Or you might say, I'm going to add a pinch of cumin powder on this meal because I think my body is asking for a little bit of a stimulating spice. Or you might say, you know, I'm starving today and I need to add an extra tablespoon of coconut oil to my food because it's, this meal is not going to be enough. That kind of tuning in, right? That's the first step to eating ayurvedically. Listening to your body and listening to what it's asking for. <clears throat> um, then you can come to what to eat, right? And then you come to what to eat. It's, it's really quite easy. Um, and I'm going to say something that might seem really rudimentary to you, but I realize that a lot of people here don't realize this. So I apologize um, if it's something you already know and it's obvious. But you have to have in your meal a representation of protein, fat, carbohydrates, 
and some kind of fiber or vegetables. These are your four essential building blocks of any nutritious meal. <clears throat> and then additionally to that, you will have some probiotic. I just finished my lunch and I have here a cup of buttermilk. I'm big on buttermilk right now. I just started talking about it yesterday to a student and I realized that a lot of people here don't even know that you can make buttermilk at home. So, Amanda, you can ask me about buttermilk in our Q&A. I won't get into it now. But um, you can, yeah, you can start to just understand your meal and whether it has these four components. And once you identify those four and what those sources are for you, then you start to ask yourself, what is my dosha and what does it need to stay healthy? So, for example, <clears throat> If you're a kapha, a kapha person is naturally going to um, lean towards being more ample in flesh, right? They're a stronger form. They're a broader build. They have more muscle, more fat, larger organs. This is just from having more earth and water. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful form to have. But if you're a kapha, you probably don't need as much food and you don't need as much protein. You definitely don't need as much carbohydrates because anything you eat is going to build and become tissue very easily. You have the natural tendency to build as a kapha. It's just what you were born with. It's your innate bodily wisdom. So a kapha person will say, no, I have less carbohydrates. I have more of this lighter food, the green leaves, salad, or the steamed vegetables, because um, I'm feeling heavy in my body. I want to have lighter. So you'll have maybe some protein and some vegetables. You don't need as much fat. You don't need as much, as much carbohydrates. You need more liquids, maybe. You need uh, a cup of buttermilk after your meal to digest better. Um, in comparison, a vata person like myself, my fire isn't strong. I do not have fire on my side. I need, um, I need my food to be warm and well-spiced and wet because I tend to be dry. Um, I like to have uh, soups, right? I like to have my dal and rice, which is my staple at home. I like to have quite a bit of spices in my food because it helps my fire digest a little bit better. I need my meals regularly three times a day or else my energy starts to get depleted, right? I, I, I don't have reserves like a kapha person does. I'm naturally a bit skinny. I am almost frail. I lose energy quickly. I get cold. Give me warm, moist, nourishing, easy to digest food. So I'll choose my food according to that. And then your pitta person who's kind of in between, they will need um, a little bit more of everything because they have a voracious fire. They are fire people. They'll need a fair amount of protein. You'll need a fair amount of carbohydrates. You need a generous serving of fat. And you need the green vegetables because they cool your body down. So a pitta person will need all four of those in a decent proportion to be satisfied. And they might still get hungry after three hours, right? So... So start to understand what your body actually needs rather than trying to go by any prescribed diet or set of rules based on a generalized idea of what a person is. We're not a generalized idea. We're each an individual unique combination that only we can ever know how to balance and keep healthy. So I'll, I'll pause there. Um, I have so much more. I could talk to you for, for hours, but I'll pause there and let you, to, let you um, absorb this much. And I guess we'll come back with Manda and questions in a few minutes.
Thank you so much, Manira. Um, I, I've been busy taking notes, as I always do when I'm learning frantically. Um, so I'm going to take this time to tell everyone that this is CKTZ 89.5 FM. You are listening to Folk University's Folk U Talk Show. Today we have Manira Hussein, who is teaching us all about Ayurveda. She recommended that you can figure out your dosha, if you do not already know it, um, at Banyan Botanicals. And we are going to, she's on the phone right now, so we're going to listen to music for a few minutes. And then I'm going to do that complicated thing where I get her back on the phone. But we're going to get off the phone so that you can call in with your questions at 250-935-0200. So please do call in. You have 10 minutes or so once the music starts to, um, to reach us, reach out to me, uh, and I will take down your question the best I can and deliver it to Manira, and then we will answer on air. So you don't have to worry. We're not going to surprise you by putting you on air against your will. Um, so thank you so much for tuning in to CKTZ 89.5 FM Cortez Community Radio. And Manira, I am so excited with so many questions. Um, so momentarily I will have figured this all out and we will have music, etc.
Listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM and on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. Today I am here with Folk University's Folk U talk show, and we are really lucky to have with us Manira Hussein, who's been teaching us about Ayurveda and um she gave us some wonderful suggestions before about a website where you can go and find out about your dosha, your constitution of different principles, I guess we would say. Is, is that right, Manira? That's right. Um, and so I spent the break uh, uh, looking up my dosha. <laughs> Um, which I've done before and things haven't really changed much through time for me. Um, and Amanda? Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, can I just say, you said nothing's changed much over time for you, yes. right? Yes, yes. That's because you are born with your dosha. Your dosha does not change over time. Your dosha is created when sperm meets egg. Nice. So then... Yeah. And so then are there times in life, are there like when we're a teenager, when we um, go through menopause or become an older man, are there times in life where we naturally uh, are like where things start to change, like naturally more fiery times of life or naturally more dry and um, uh, kind of thoughtful times of life? Yeah, great question. So we're born with our inherent, unique uh, blueprint or dosha, right? And it stays consistent over time. So if you're doing a dosha quiz and you're coming up with one dosha combination at one time and you're doing it again and it's coming up as something different, um, know that 
you're probably entering in um, information or clicking answers based on the moment, whereas you should always be selecting your answers based on what's happened over the span of your lifetime. That will give you an accurate idea of your birth dosha, right? Um, just for anyone who's online as well, trying to do their dosha quizzes, I wanted to point that out. But yeah, Amanda, you are right. So as I was saying, we have all these influences from the environment over the course of our days and lives, right? So just like there's vata, pitta, kapha in the day acting on us from the outside and the inside, we have uh, stages in our lives. And again, like when, when you get into Ayurveda, you, you start to see this. Everything really is in the lens of these three principles, vata, pitta, and kapha. Now, after having been with Ayurveda for 20 years, I really just understand everything I come across this way. Even as much as like if I go to see a, a dance or a theater piece, you know, I, I use the principles of vata, pitta, and kapha in understanding what just happened there for me or what was on the stage when I watched what I watched. So it really becomes this great sort of structure for making sense of the world, if you know what I mean. And and when you when you do this, um, and you go deeper in Ayurveda, you'll see that uh, it, it'll come up everywhere. So in the course of your life, for example, you go through all three stages, vata, pitta, and kapha. When you're a baby, you're in kapha stage. So think of a baby, right? They're like, they have this lusciousness. They're chubby and earthy and grounded and slow moving and loving. They're in the kapha time of their life. Children, uh, babies to children to early teen, you know, it's, it's kapha. Um, then you transition, you start to transition over to your pitta or your fire time of your life. And that's your middle age, your, you know, your 20s, 30s, 40s, even you're in your fire time. And so you'll notice that your fire will naturally be higher no matter what your constitution is. So as a vata person, my fire is higher right now. As a fiery person, um, Manda, I know you have a, a strong fire. You'll notice that there's even more fire right now. You'll have to be doubly careful to manage it well during middle age. Does that make sense? Yes. And then as you go into old age, you go into your vata time. And vata is characterized by dry, cold, frail. Right? Think of an old person. Um, they, tend to, they tend to run cold. They tend to be dry. They tend to be a little bit less sturdy in their body. They're more delicate. Right? Del the delicateness is vata. So as we go from stage to stage, to have this awareness is really important because you can then mitigate the effects of age regardless of where you're at in your life. So, for example, um, as I'm a pitta right now and I'm noticing that my fire is high, I'm taking extra care to make sure I sleep well. You know, as a pitta, I know that I need to sleep well and I need to sort of turn off my engine at night. I'm eating slightly more cooling foods than I used to before. And, um, yeah, and I'm being a little bit more careful of my ambition because I'm in the ambitious time of my life. It's my time of action and doing. I'm parenting and I'm building my career and I'm doing the hundred other volunteer projects I'm doing. It's really easy, as you can hear me speak, Manda, to imagine how a pitta can go out of balance at this time, right? <laughs> so it's about being aware. 
during an abuse stage. And then you asked about the things like the teens and menopause. These are transitions. So a transition in Ayurveda is always considered as stressful, as a source of stress in the body and in the mind. It's the same as the, 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 the change of season from winter to summer or winter to spring, that little cusp of a couple of weeks when things are changing in nature, you'll notice that your body and mind are out of sorts. You might be, tend to have more viruses and the flu, you know, because your body is weaker. So any change brings with it a certain amount of stress. So with, with puberty, you see that. With menopause, you see that. You see that, um, you know, going in and into and out of parenting. These are all times of strain. And the best way really to, to manage for that is to have a good foundational practice, right? You're having good daily rhythms. You're keeping to a good diet. You're making sure you're getting good sleep. You're, you're generally practicing all the things that allow for that foundation to be resilient. And then beyond that, you can always use herbs through Ayurveda, but really what you're trying to do is build that foundation and prevent the kind of imbalances that will crop up in those times due to the strain. And How, does that uh, does that answer your question? Oh yeah, that's uh, that's perfect. Um, and it's yeah. Anyway, that help, helps me to also sort of realize I was I've as you've been speaking, I've been thinking, for instance, of my teenager. We both have teenage daughters, and um, I have been really feeling a lot of internal challenges about some of the coughiness that I'm seeing coming out in her. And which of course maybe is not that strange because I have a lot of pitta and vada. So I'm like the answer to everything is to do something. Um, and she thinks sometimes the answer to things is to you know, lie around in her bed more. <laughs> uh, but now I'm, I'm realizing that one, I mean, trying to perhaps like understand more what her dosha is and then be more aware of of the needs that she has in it but also she probably does have some kapha and this is she is still in the kapha period so um you know like maybe i can also back down a little bit (laughs) yeah oh my gosh manda you brought up such a beautiful thing in what you just said you know, one of the great gifts of understanding people uh, through Ayurveda is making sense of your close relationships. You know, once I understood what my father was or what my mother was, um, I understood James, my husband's constitution. There was so much more ease just merely from the understanding that this is how they're different. And this is why they act the way they do. And this is why we disagree on the things we disagree on, right? Our impulses are different. And so what you're saying with your daughter is exactly that. As a kapha, oh gosh, so kaphas are interesting because you cannot really force them to do anything until they're ready. They're like that massive boulder that you cannot move. But once you move that boulder, it's going to go, you know? So with with your stubborn teenager, my, my suspicion is that once she understands and she gets it and she feels the new balance inside her, she'll be amazing and she'll do it for life, what she needs to do. But she just has to, to get to that point of movement in her kapha. 
Speaking of which, I um, have been really lucky because my teenager has gotten to do some uh, consultation with you, and she still talks about some of the things that she learned in just the one uh, class that she had with you, and will remind me of things that she needs at different times of like her of her life or you know when she's in um, more transition spaces so I'm wondering if other people out there want to learn more about Ayurveda or in particular work with you and learn more about their own doshas and how to use Ayurveda uh, for health and healing what do they do uh, yeah so Ayurveda to me is one of those things best understood with a guide a lot of things, I think, are really great to just read about and you get them. Ayurveda has that complexity that I think it's best studied with a guide. So I recommend people who are interested in Ayurveda to find someone to guide them through their learning. And I, I do offer that. If you have someone uh, locally, um, find them. That's amazing. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to anyone of your listeners who would like to, to come and contact me. I'm really easy to contact. Um, I have a website. It's called RadiantLivingVancouver.com. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, uh, and, and you can message me anytime, of course. And I offer a one-on-one work. Um, we can do a consult and understand your dosha. I can do these online, so no problem if you're far away. And we can talk about first steps for balancing. But um, what I also offer, which I, I, I get way more excited about these days, um, I've been running this for the last few years, is kind of a group online program where we explore the Ayurvedic tenets together. And in this, in this program, um, we kind of explore the foundations and we also apply them. So it's a very action-based coaching program steeped in Ayurveda. And I love it because it gives you that kind of container of a group, a supportive, dynamic group that's all learning and growing and changing together. Um, and it gives you this way of keeping re- regularly in touch. We meet every week when we're on a, what I call a round. Um, and so it's really nice for learning something like Ayurveda, which is experiential, in a live group setting. And by the end of this program, the way I've designed it, you not only have understood the principles of Ayurveda, but you are actually applying them in your everyday life and you're automating uh, basic Ayurvedic regimes. Um, and we do this, like I said in the beginning of this, um, this conversation, through using habit change techniques. Because I know that a lot of people come in and they're excited to change, but old habits die hard. And so... There's lots of great tools and techniques to help people uh, break out of old patterns and repattern to newer, healthier habits. Um, and I like to provide that uh, along with the, the healthier habits that you need to transition to. <laughs> so if you're curious about something like that, um, my program is there for you. And we've been having amazing results with people changing their relationship with their bodies, to sleeping better, to finally understanding how to feed themselves, to um, healing chronic gut issues, to, um, you know, you name it. It's, it's a really amazing support, a dynamic group. So if that's your jam, uh, talk to me about that. I am imagining a group that's made up of all islanders 
um, Cortesians and Quadraites, so that some of us could come together uh, in real time and and be there with you to guide us. So if anybody wants to get that going, they should let me know. I'm there. See, Amanda, that's what I love about you, your Pitta Vata. You come up with ideas like, like you know, they're, they're just falling out of the sky at you. It's amazing. <laughs> I love that. It would be so great to have an Islanders group. And then we could do some live session. We can do some online work. And we can make it really responsive to what you guys need. Amazing. Um, thank you so much, Manira, for for being here today. Um, I it f- just feels like it was sort of a vacation day for me to get to have you um, spend this time and to have someone in here that I um, have really admired and who's helped shape my life in so many uh, special place ways. So thank you so 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 much, Manira. Um, I super appreciate it. And as part of our program notes, I'll make sure that the website is up there. And then if you are willing, maybe you'll send us your recipe for making buttermilk and I'll put that in the program notes too. Ah, yes, the buttermilk. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. It was really a pleasure. Really, any time I can spend with you, um, I will take. <laughs> and I wanted to say before I get off the air is that I would like to offer any listeners um, a complimentary 20-minute coaching session. You know, if they have just one little thing they want to come and work on with me and get the Ayurvedic perspective on, um, it, it usually costs $45. But I would love to offer this. If you've been on, on the air with us and you've heard this or you listen back, and you want to take me up on it, just give me a message saying that I heard you on Cortez Radio and I'd love to get that session and we can book a time. Love it. So they can reach out to you through your website, which is uh, radiantlivingvancouver.com. And then all you have to do is mention Cortez Radio and you get $45 worth of free session. I love it. Thank you so much for for doing that, Manira. That's very kind. Thank you, Amanda. Love you, Amanda. Thank you. I love you too. And now everybody, you get to listen to a moment of music. You're listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM. Cortez Community Radio, and we, after the break, are going to have Katrina Vega, one of your other Cortez Radio DJs, coming up to share some of her wisdom um, about what is happening in her garden and what you might be doing in yours. All right. Güçler bulandı artık, bir faydası yok. Çevremiz dağılmış, ortak paydası yok. Sevişenler mi gitti yoksa bana mı öyle geldi? Oyuna devam ama eski havası yok. Bana biraz umut ver. Biraz umut ver. Biraz umut ver. Ver ki yeniden başlasın bana biraz umut ver. Biraz umut ver. Biraz umut ver. Ver ki yeniden başlasın. Ülke sarsılıyor ve umurunda değil Umurunda olsa bile eski durumunda değil Hep aranıyor ama bulunanlar cılız 
Kerteliz oynamış eski konumunda değil Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Sen gizlendin yerinde ben saklandım o sokaklarda hep onlar oynadı Sen susmuştun ben ürkmüştüm konuşmadım Yeni bir ses için heves kalmadı Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Savaşlar birbirine benzer Kazanan olmaz Kazandığını sanma Kayıplarına bak biraz Cebindekinin yarısını Ödedin silahlara Şimdi diyorsun ki Yalnız barış adına Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Sen gizlendin yerinde Ben saklandım o sokaklarda hep onlar oynadı Sen susmuştun ben ürkmüştüm konuşmadım Yeni bir ses için heves kalmadı Bana biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Biraz umut ver Ver ki yeniden başlasın Bana biraz umut ver Hello neighbor, you are listening to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio and on the World Wide Web at CortezRadio.ca. All right, I'm super happy to have another friend in studio now with me today and also someone with a lot of um, wise woman uh, folk knowledge. So it's really wonderful to welcome Katrina Vega, also a, an experienced Cortez radio DJ on her own uh on her, in her own right, I should have made you bring music suggestions. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so, Katrina, tell me a little something about your garden and what's growing in it right now. Okay. Well, we moved into our place. It was a rental, and it was completely covered in um, blackberry and buttercup and... Um, yellow dock and so you know we've had to make friends with those and I've uh, spent lots of time trying to dig out the blackberry and kind of gave up and said let's just you know hack it back in the spring and keep it at bay and then build up you know we built a, a bed at a time kind of and now and this year now we now own the house so we expanded our beds um, got that rototiller out and um, so the kids adopted a couple of beds down the shady end of the garden um, and I think 
you know, it's a little bit of a battle because every time you start something new, the buttercup's like, woohoo, nice soil. And they stretch out their arms and they throw down roots. And the so if you're not in there, I mean, I'm not much of a weeder. Honestly, I, I leave a lot of the weeds. Um, the bees love the buttercup. So <laughs> I figured that's beneficial. And um, so the kids kind of went down there one day and were like, whoa, it's kind of been taken over again by buttercup. So you just kind of yank it out and... Um, they've thrown in things like we went to Linnea and grabbed Saranth. We didn't know what Saranth was, but it's a beautiful, it's got these dusty green leaves with purplish flowers and the bees really like them. And they kind of, they almost look a little bit like a succulent, but they grow. I don't know. You'll have to look it up. When we first looked it up, all I found, cause I couldn't remember the name. I found like a, they were some kind of sea creature. I was like, no, I don't think this is it. <laughs> like a, anyway, sea anemone or something. Um, so that's been fun seeing them dip in a little. Um, and also, like last year, I thought we'd have to move. So I had planted like a million elecampane plants. And so I started giving them away. And like, I left, I think, about five in the garden. Um, and then we bought the house. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's probably good I gave most of them away because if you know elecampane, it gets huge. It's bigger than me right now. It has these jungle leaves that... Um, grow it grows yeah like a good eight nine feet tall some of them and then they have these like little sunflower flowers like bright yellow and the root is um it's got a really sort of like oh, what's that camphorous kind of uh flavor and I've um, been learning about it a bit because I'm also into herbalism and um one woman has treated uh she treated um anti- bacterial resist no what is it uh, <laughs> antibiotic resistant bacteria with elecampane so it's also good for like lungs and like if you can't kick a cold it's very warming and um drying I think so, so I'll throw that in a mix in the winter when when I just can't get rid of a uh, cold yeah I've dried a whole bunch when I thought I was moving even though it's the second year route you want but I thought oh well one year good enough they get really big they look like um what are those, the Harry Potter, those like mandrake root, they kind of have that look to them. So uh, yeah, they're really beautiful. And, and so the one that I didn't move is the most magnificent. Um, it's, it's kind of shading out some of the peas on my trellis, but <laughs> I figure it, it just needs to be there. It's like a queen. Um, and then I grew some mugwort and I have a good story with that one because um, I've, I use it sort of like to burn. It's really nice, makes a nice smoke and it's like good for, you know, dream work and um, kind of dabble. I, I have really vivid dreams anyway, so I don't know that I need mugwort. But <laughs> um, so anyway, it, I sometimes just nibble on plants um, to get to know them. And I know that mugwort has a variety, like a variation on how bitter it can be. And mine is not all that bitter. It's not that strong. But um so uh, anyway, I was in my friend's garden and I was like, oh, mugwort. And I took some and started chewing on the leaf. And I thought, oh, this one's really like bitter and pungent and strong and juicy almost. So I kept chewing and then I thought, well, I'm going to spit it out because it's not like the nicest leaf to swallow. So I spat it out. And then a while later, I ate some um, honeysuckle. And I thought, hey, I've never had this reaction before. My my lips are tingling and my throat feels kind of scratchy and like this is weird. So then I said then I was thinking about it and I said to my friend, oh, "Wait a second. Um can I show you this leaf I chewed on and let's check out what it is?" And she looked at it and she goes, "Oh, that's aconite or um what's the other 
aconite is a wolfsbane or monkshood. That's the one people know it by. So it's a, mag- a very beautiful flower and it's one of the top 10 most poisonous plants. So I went aconite. Oh my God. Like, did I really just do that? So let's po- call poison control. Um, and they said, well, you didn't swallow it and you'd probably be okay, but just make sure you're not throwing up and um, you know, see what happens and call us back in a few hours. We're going to check in with you. And I thought, oh my God, like how could, <laughs> how stupid of me. But really when I went back and looked, I started to notice like what I had thought were little tiny flower buds behind those were bigger ones and I could see the purple. And if I'd seen those originally, I probably would have, cause I know mugwort has tiny little flowers. So I thought, oh, this is mugwort cause the leaves are incredibly similar and even when I showed like a hollyhock gardener, my mugwort, he's like, oh, yeah, that does look like aconite. He goes, we wear gloves when we work with it. <laughs> so um, I, it it was numb and tingly for three hours. And uh, my throat felt weird for a while, but and nothing else happened. And I think the next day my stomach didn't feel great, but I, I wasn't sure if that was connected. Hard to say. But anyway, that was a good lesson because if I'd swallowed that leaf, um, it doesn't take a lot to become very ill and put, and if you, you know, if I'd had a couple leaves, I probably could have died. <laughs> so that was kind of scary. But um, uh, makes my daughter really like, Mom, don't just pick anything. <laughs> like, I know this one. <laughs> so yeah, that lesson again of like, absolutely be sure what you're nibbling on in somebody else's garden or. And so she ended up pulling it because she's got a baby <laughs> who is putting a lot of things in his mouth right now. So yeah. Um, what else? Yeah, I mean, like, my garden's pretty wild, so I still have a lot of buttercup and all that. It's, like, I just, and, oh, chickweed, I kind of let it take over my beds. I'm like, whatever, salad, this is great. Um, I've I've added some motherwort and lemon balm and mint and put it in the end of the garden where I figure it can just spread away and uh, be nice, like, herbal teas and things to have. Um yeah, I got some daylilies and hollyhocks that are still waiting to bloom. What I notice is like our garden's super shady. We're on the edge of Siskin and so we have these massive trees and um, we had thought to take some of them out, but then they were saying there was going to be, there was a fire ban because of the COVID-19. They didn't want smoke in the air. And we thought last thing we need is a giant pile of cedar boughs um, with no way to burn them. And at that point they hadn't um, offered the chipping program. So that's on hold and we have to wait till the garden's done before we're going to take down huge trees. And now the tree fort's built in it. So it's like kind of like, ah, hmm, <laughs> sorry, kids, we're going to hack down that tree. No, I don't know. So we'll see what we we'll see what to do about that. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And then a, a funny is I got a couple of tomatoes from Hollyhock. And then I uh, got given some from friends and it's hilarious because the hollyhock ones are just like monsters. They're so huge. And uh, all the other ones are like half as big. <laughs> um, so yeah, Holly knows what she's doing there. It's uh, awesome. I don't. I just make stuff up. I'm like, oh, throw in some sea soil and a bit of manure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. I just experiment. Figure adding something's better than nothing. And uh yeah, I don't know. I've got lots of stuff in there. I'm trying uh, to grow some skull cap. I started a tray of astragalus and ended up with two viable plants from that. <laughs> and I think they can get really tall, but right now they're quite, they're pretty tiny. So we'll see if they make it through the season. And then you can use the roots for, um, they're, uh, what do you call the, 
uh, what I don't know. I can't remember the name for it's one of those ones you can take ongoing for energy and what's all the rage, you know? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's a, you, if you know Astragalus, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I can't think of it right now. Um, chamomile. I don't know. Do you have any questions? I've got, oh yeah, we've got enough potatoes probably to feed us for the year. So <laughs> when COVID hit, we're like, buy potatoes. What if we can't get rice? It took four months to get our bulk order. So we threw in uh, two beds of potatoes and a potato tower um, that at first looked like it wasn't doing anything. And now it looks like very happy. Just looks like a bush. (laughs) What is is a potato tower? Potato tower. tower. So you put in like a layer of um, manure on the bottom. Like I built a cage, sorry, out of fencing. I made a big circle and I put manure down and then you put a little layer of straw around it and you plant your potatoes in the manure and then you put straw and then more manure, more potatoes, more straw. So the straw is on the outside to hold in the dirt. And then between each kind of layer of potatoes, you add a little straw. Um, so I guess some one person said that sometimes they do kind of dry out, but we've had such a moist spring. It's like not been a problem at all. They're very happy. They just took a while to start um, putting their leaves out, whereas the ones in the bed were quicker. So at first I thought nothing was happening. But <laughs> um, yeah, so you get layer and layer and layer layer and layer of potatoes. And we'll see it supposedly a lot easier to um, harvest. You just take apart your your mesh and they just all come on out of the soil. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> what other edibles are you uh, planting? I have a whole bunch of like I have zucchinis and a pumpkin plant and um, some other kind of squash. I don't know. Sometimes I buy stuff and then I forget what I bought. I just throw it in and see what will happen. <laughs> um, so, and of course, my garden being shady, I'm sort of like, I look at other people's gardens that have sun and I'm sort of like halfway to where they're at, but that's okay. Uh, beans got kind of demolished by slugs, but there's a few struggling away there so we'll see (laughs) um i bought some fava bean starts uh so that's kind of a new i try new things every year um i got some peas climbing away and it's kind of nice i put five different varieties so they have different flowers um i'm not very good at charting what i put where so it's kind of choose your own adventure (laughs) as they mature you're like oh oh that's nice what a surprise (laughs) uh yeah, we got, and you know, being a kind of wild garden, we got thimbleberries in there, um, blackberries. Well, no, I don't think I'm going to let the berries. I usually just keep chopping them down so we won't get berries out of that. Self-heal, uh, which is purple de- dead nettle, same thing. Got some raspberries that were there when we moved in, and they kind of are marching down the garden on of their own accord. <laughs> Each year they're like moving. It's kind of fun to watch. Uh, strawberries... Uh, which, of course, you have to get before the wood bugs. <laughs> so I find the ones that are hanging off the pot, I, they're in pots, uh, they do better than the ones on the ground. Uh, oh, so you planted the strawberries in pots? Yeah, a couple years ago. So I've, I've, you know, they probably could do better in bigger pots or in the ground, but I don't like putting them in the ground because I feel like they just get devoured. Yep. So the pots, at least the ones hanging down, seem to have a better chance. Do you have raised beds or you're in the soil? No, I just add mounds of soil on, yeah, on the ground, straight on the ground. Some are dug down more than others, <laughs> just depend on what kind of energy I have in that 
moment of getting the garden ready. And do you have sunnier patches where you've put your tomatoes or you're managing to grow them even? Oh yeah, my deck is great. I put all the tomatoes in big pots and they're against the pink stucco wall that gets the most sun. Uh, So they're pretty happy there. Um, And I also put them under the eaves so they don't get too rained on. Um, Yeah, and then I have all the you know, it's varying degrees of what I've been able to pot up. Like there's this, the whole tray of um, chamomile, like all of those took off. And so I just can't keep up. I couldn't keep up with like repotting them. And so they're, you know, some of those will probably just get chucked. (laughs) With chamomile, because I'm growing chamomile as well. um, I'm not sure whether it's on purpose or on accident. Um, Can I, will the deers eat that? Does that Need to be I don't know. Fenced. I would I would imagine they would. It seems like it would be yummy and tender. They I don't know. Because <laughs> um, I try to, you know, we're pretty good about keeping our gates closed. So we haven't had any uh, disasters, knock on wood. <laughs> and will it get invasive? Like, can, do you plant that in your um, garden or do you keep it in pots? I think, like, so far these are in pots. They never made it, haven't made it off my deck yet. But um, I think the one I have is a Polish variety and someone said that they think that one's an annual so it'll just be like this year and then it'll produce seed so I think it would reseed if I you know had it in the garden Um, some of them I think the German and the English are like perennials maybe or by I don't know exactly but I think they kind of last last come back so the one I have is more like whatever seeds get sown and I know that you um, make a lot of herbal tinctures and salves and things like that what like of the things that you're growing what's a great beginner um plant to grow and work with normally I would have a giant bed of calendula but this year when I went to plant them I went what are you kidding I don't have any seeds and then I went to uh I don't know the co-op and they didn't have any seeds left so I end up with like a handful of volunteers. Uh, So that's kind of weird for me because I I was kind of imagining this whole bed of calendula. Um, I do have seeds a friend gave me, so I should just throw them in and see. They may, like they seem to flower a long time. So, you know, that might be be worth trying. (laughs) But um, they're beautiful and they make great salves. They're like amazing for your skin and for healing. And um, yeah, so they're a good one to grow. For sure. Um, I got lemon catnip this year, one of my experimental things. But I read then later that sometimes cats get attracted to your garden. I went, "Uh oh, I better not put that in. So now I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'll just keep them in pots and uh, harvest those and let that be this year's experiment. (laughs) Um, Or maybe see if the deer don't like them because they're a mint family. So maybe the deer will leave them alone if I put them up above and then it won't matter if they spread and cats come because I don't know. <laughs> don't want them in the garden for sure. Uh, la, la, la. What else? I mean, elk campaign is really fun, even if you just get one. And I've heard the deer don't like them. So you can have them un- out. And I've seen people in scrubby areas. They don't seem to need too amazing a soil or anything. So that would be fun if you have like somewhere you don't mind having an eight foot plant. <laughs> I want to get some do you can you start from seed or I did yeah um so I ended up with a million because I always like I haven't learned don't put the whole seed packet in the tray <laughs> 
so I always end up with like more than I can even deal with and end up like throwing stuff out and giving it away and <laughs> whatever um but you yeah or you can take a chunk of root so you can probably have one of my chunks of root and put it in and uh yeah but I know that the second year is supposed to be sort of the best medicine or going maybe into the third but then I think it gets too fibrous and rooty but I think you can take that chunk and grow a plant from it so I don't know exactly I'm not great on all the details of how that works but <laughs> what else I don't know <laughs> what else do you want to know well I want to I'm actually uh, growing some calendula this year so I can give you a, a couple <laughs> um it, I also tried to start astragalus and I don't know if any of mine made it either I don't uh, I like there was a number of herbs that I tried to start this year and I don't know if the seeds were just bad or what happened. But. So one thing I did learn, you have to um, scarify it and I'd never done that before, but it said like basically you get some sandpaper and you kind of give it a little rub. And so some of them, I think I did it too hard and they just like <laughs> didn't, maybe it didn't quite work, but others they sprouted, like it allowed them to sprout because it's kind of a protective seed. And so yeah, if you use the sandpaper, it'll it'll sprout. And I noticed too, it was such a tiny root. Like it was like almost the seed became this little root, it that that it grew from. And so it took takes a while, I think, for those roots to to go down and like establish. So it was very um like tra- moving them was kind of like ooh, I hope I didn't um wreck that one. So I had three that looked promising, and then two that are actually growing. And the third I just threw out because it was kind of stunted looking. And so if you were to use your calendula, uh, so you were just talking about stragglers though. Yeah, right? that was so, a stragglers. Yeah. Yes. If you were to use your calendula in a really e- easy beginner, awesome salve, what part do you use? The flower? Yeah, all the whole flower head because the medicine's in all of it. Um, so you don't just take the petals, you take even that middle part that's kind of sticky and, uh, and you, let's see, you can either, you can dry it, um, and put it in oil, infuse it in oil. And I know that a lot of people up here tend to do the like solar infusions. Um, but other people swear against that, you know, there's a whole science that's like a new level for me learning about how to make oils. So, um, there's a woman, Cammie McBride, and she's offering a course actually right now, I think, um, I'm not sure if it's already closed, but she does it every year. She gives three free um, little how to make oil lessons, and then she's got a whole course you can take. Um, And she has different methods. She uses like the blender with dried herbs or like in a cupboard with a heat source, like a steady heat source where you just leave the herbs for like a month or two. Um, Like, for example, St. John's wort, which is blooming right now. If you take one of those flowers or the bud and you squish it with your fingers, you'll see it's kind of purpley red color. And so when you put it in, infuse it in the oil, like, so when I do a solar infusion, I put it now, I've learned to put it in a brown paper bag so that you're not also exposing it to the light because oils can go rancid if you're having changing temperatures and light and dark. And so you want to keep it as steady as you can. But I do find the heat helps the the plant material like the medicine come out of the plant right so anyway I put it in in the sun in my paper bag and um a couple of times I made it and I was like gee it's not that it's kind of orangey brown it's not that beautiful red color you get and um one herbalist just told me no you just need to leave it longer like just and so uh yeah when you leave it longer you'll get 
that deep red coming out of that St. John's wort oil. So part of it's just time. Like you don't want to rush too much or you'll miss extracting some of the the medicinal goodness. So many things are just time. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of time, it is that time where I have to wrap up my show. Yay. This You perhaps are the first person that's come in where I feel like, oh, yes, we have similar gardens. <laughs> I also had a started a garden that is largely in the shade. That is, mine is all on rock, but also that I had to beat back blackberry and slough and all these other things and so um it helps me to have other people who are halfway and successfully gardening um despite a number of, of, of challenges like lack of sunshine uh, so thank you so much for coming and sharing today with us um and as always i love hearing about your herbal wisdom it's been a wonderful exciting day of folk wisdom around um, all sorts of bits of staying healthy great i guess a final word is weeds can be your friend and some of them are actually medicine like chickweed and so you know and grass can keep the moisture in your garden so don't worry about it so much <laughs> I, I i i like your attitude don't weed be happy <laughs> go to the beach <laughs> don't let gardening overtake your life <laughs> oh man Thank you so much, neighbor, for tuning in to CKTZ 89.5 FM, Cortez Community Radio. You have been listening to Manda O'Fox Gillespie and the Folk You Talk Show. You can get this show afterward.